0: The Book of Lamentations. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none. To comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted and she herself suffers bitterly her foes have become the head her enemies prosper because Yahweh has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions her children have gone away captives before the foe from the daughter of Zion All her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all her precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked. At her downfall, Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future, therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Yahweh, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food, to revive their strength.
1: Look, O Yahweh, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has brought upon me which Yahweh afflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire. Into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. Yahweh has commanded against Jacob that his neighbor should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Yahweh is in the right for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Yahweh, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me, because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is
2: faint. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds, and he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. Yahweh has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raise a clamor in the house of Yahweh as on the day of festival. Yahweh determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her kings and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from Yahweh." The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine, as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom.
3: What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading all who pass along the way, they clap their hands at you, they hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry, we have swallowed her! Ah, this is the day we long for, now we have it, we see it. Yahweh has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion. Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Yahweh, and see, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned, as if to a festival day, my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of Yahweh, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy
4: destroyed.
5: I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again, the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my path crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness. He's sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So is my hope from Yahweh.
4: Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But... Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve.
6: Who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways, and return to Yahweh. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You've wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You've made us scum and garbage among the people. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until Yahweh from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I've been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your
3: name, O Yahweh, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Yahweh. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Yahweh, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Yahweh, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from
4: under your heavens, O Yahweh. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire now their face is blacker than soot they are not recognized in the streets their skin has shriveled on their bones it has become as dry as wood happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away pierced by lack of the fruits of the field the hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children They become their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Yahweh gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations.
5: The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of their prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, They shall stay with us no longer. Yahweh Himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, Yahweh's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Us. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins.
1: Remember, O oh Yahweh, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers have sinned and are no more and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah.
0: Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head, Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Yahweh, Reign forever, your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Yahweh, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain Exceedingly angry with us. (coughs) This is the book of Lamentations.
7: Partway through, my son leaned over and said to me, They're saying bad things about God, but God's good. Probably a little bit of how we all felt when that was read. But it's in God's Word. God inspired those words. The title for the series in Lamentations is When God's Anger Burns. It's clear over and over again in the book of Lamentations that the burning fire of God is because of Israel's rebellion. As the Old Testament scholar Paul House put it, God has punished as thoroughly as Israel has sinned. The motif throughout the whole book of Lamentations is God's wrath against sin, God's anger burning. You could think of the destruction of Jerusalem that came about after years and years of God warning and saying, repent, repent. After years and years of Him waiting and being gracious of Him sending prophets who would tell them and they would kill the prophets. Finally, when God brought that destruction upon Jerusalem by the hands of the Babylonians, you can think of that like a prism that's being held up And the light of who God is shining through that prism is the book of Lamentations. And it turns, and it turns, and it turns, and we keep looking at God through that prism of the destruction and learning different things about who God is and what's happened. But the motif through it all is this burning anger of God. We're not used to having a long reading like that about the anger of God. We don't talk about that in churches these days. Lamentations is a book that offends our modern sensibilities. But let me say, unless you believe that our day and age is the first in history to have no blind spots, to be able to see everything clearly, unless you think that, then whenever the Bible offends our sensibilities, instead of shirking away, we should lean in. The desire to try to smooth over parts of the Bible to make them conform to our thinking is wrong. The reality is when we're uncomfortable with God's Word, it's because our thinking is off in some way. So, an unsettling book like this is like a flare, alerting us to the fact that we need to slow down and pay close attention. It's not the Bible that needs amending. It's us that needs amending. I told you that the book of Lamentations is like taking the prism of the fall of Jerusalem, holding it up to the light of who God is and looking at it from different angles. Let me just explain that a little bit. First, what the prism itself is. After, as I said, after, after literally hundreds of years of God warning Israel, he finally does raise up the Babylonians. And the Babylonians come, and they sort of conquer Israel, and they set up a kind of puppet king, but he's an Israelite, and he reigns in Jerusalem, and they're happy because he swears their allegiance to Babylon, and they go on their way. But this king abandons the Babylonians and seeks out the Egyptians for support which makes the Babylonians not too happy. So they send back an army, and they lay siege to Jerusalem. They surround it so that nobody can come in or come out. And so that means the food is dried up, the water's dried up, there's nothing in Jerusalem. They're famishing, which is why you hear so much language, evocative language in Lamentations about starvation and hunger and thirst. People literally dying in the streets of hunger. And then finally, when Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem are at their weakest, they breach the city, they tear down the walls, and they pretty much raise the entire city. And they do terrible, terrible things to the people who are there. They take some of them into exile. They leave a few there. That was in 586 B.C. That's, That's the kind of terror we're talking about when you raise that prism. That's what this was written in light of. When I talk about it being a prism, Lamentation is actually a series of five poems. They're independent poems, though I think they're grouped together in a very intentional way. But each chapter is its own poem. And I'll touch on more of that later. But the question is, why is it that this is an important book for us? I actually believe that our study in Lamentations is going to do much good for our soul. But why is it that I think that a book that offends so many of our modern sensibilities is exactly what Christians of our era need to hear? Well, in part, it's because I think we can take sin far too lightly. We treat sin like the movies treat the mafia. You know how the mafia is often portrayed in the movies? Glamorous. Yeah, we know it's wrong. Yeah, we know they're doing bad things. It can be ugly at times, but it's kind of fun. It's entertaining. It's just not that serious. There's been a few things for me that have helped me realize that how how, how terrible and disgusting organized crime really is. It was just a few months ago that a man was shot at point-blank range in Mississauga because he was one of the bigwigs in the mob. And you think about that when it hits close to home. This guy lived his whole life aware that any moment someone could have a hit on him. If he lost that stranglehold of power that he was holding on to, he'd be dead. It wasn't too long before that, or it wasn't too long prior to that, that I had done some research and learned about, or I'd read an extended article on the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. We celebrate Al Capone. He was so upset with a rival gang for stealing whiskey that he arranged for a clandestine meeting where those gang members would come. They had to turn their backs, thinking they were being arrested by police officers. Seven of them shot the Tommy gun. There's nothing pretty or glamorous about the mafia. It's real people with children, with wives, dead, and then the cycle continues, You shot them dead. Now their gang puts on a hit on you. Everyone's living with constant fear. Everyone's trying desperately to maintain their grip. Survival of the fittest. No one really trusts anyone. Lies and deception abound. It's foul. It's disgusting. What I'm doing and doing an extended illustration is just to say, we often think of sin like, like the movies portray the mafia, but really it's dark, it's disgusting, it's terrible. And that's what Lamentations is doing for us. It's telling us, this is where sin leads. Don't think it's this, oh yeah, it's bad, but eh, it's sin, we all do it, it's kind of fun. No, this is serious. Lamentations does for sin what the St. Valentine's Day Massacre does for the mob. It shows us how awful it is. God is graciously showing us this is where sin leads. This is how serious it is. Don't take a light view of it. Don't wink at it. We rebel against God we lose his protection we put ourselves in the path of his just wrath which is not a place to be it's terrible so when god's anger burns in a day and age where god has gotten smaller and smaller where sin has gotten cheaper and cheaper where fear of god is at an all-time low we need a dose of lamentations but that's not the only only path through the prism that's not the only light of god coming through the prism It's not just trying to kick us in the pants and tell us how terrible it is to have God against you. And here's where, again, I think the structure of Lamentations is interesting. I mentioned five poems. They're actually five acrostics. Do you remember what an acrostic is? A, you're adorable. B, you're so beautiful. C, you're a cutie full of charms. Each line begins with a letter of the alphabet and moves on through. That's what Lamentations is. It's not as cheesy as that song, but that's what it is. So you might have noticed chapters 1, 2, 4, and 6 all have 22 verses in them. That's because in the Hebrew alphabet there's 22 letters. But it's not just five kind of straightforward acrostic. Poems that are all identical in their structure. There's actually a development as it goes. This is interesting because it it leads to how we're going to look at the Book of Lamentations and the prisms that we're, or how we're to view the prisms. So stick with me while I do a little bit of a a structural analysis of Lamentations. So the first two chapters, chapters one and two, are identical. You get aleph or a, and then you kind of get a three-line stanza first letter starts with that one and you move through three line stanzas that's clear in your bible because their verses are marked you'll see three lines for verse one three lines for verse two it's just moving through the 22 letters chapter two is identical so you're reading through lamentations and you know hebrew uh, or you're hearing it in your native language of hebrew and you're hearing that structure it's kind of becoming predictable and then chapter three comes And it's totally different. The third poem is completely different. How many verses does chapter 3 have? 66. Three times 22. That's because instead of one line for Aleph, it has three straight lines for Aleph. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. And then it goes to Bet. 1, 2, 3. A, B, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. So you have... Three lines for each of the 22 letters. It's totally a different structure. But then you go back to chapter 4, and you're back to the 22 verses. Now it's a little different, because now you only have two lines instead of three lines per. And then you get to chapter 5, and it's completely different as well. It's actually not an acrostic. It has one letter, or one line, for each letter of the alphabet, but it doesn't start with the A, B, C. It's just randomly organized. There's a sense of it's kind of Unraveling, the structure's unraveling as you go. It kind of fits with the field of lamentations. We're grieving, the city's coming unraveled, my own soul's coming unraveled, and even the structure of the poetry in Hebrew or in lamentations is coming unraveled. But here's the point of all that. Where's the turning point where it goes from very predictable to starting to come unraveled? Chapter three, with its totally different structure. What the structure's doing is like big neon lights pointing us to chapter 3. Saying, this one's really important. This one's a really big deal. We need to pay attention to chapter 3. And halfway through chapter 3, the, 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 kind of the, the second part of the first half, so verses 18 to 33, halfway through is this profound section. Look at it with me. Chapter 3, I said verse 18, we'll pick up at 19. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. So you remember when we were reading along. This is heavy, 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 heavy. And then verse 21. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The neon lights are pointing to this. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Yahweh is good to those who fear Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. taking this terrible thing, holding up the prison, and all of a sudden what's shining through is God's steadfast love. Hope rooted in an understanding of the character of God. Many Christians today have flat, stick-figure gods. talk about how God's gracious and merciful. Talk about how He's loving and forgiving. Talk about how He created us and He's for us. And all those things are very true and very important. But if we detach those truths from the fierce God whose anger burns against sin we're left with a flat, one-dimensional God. He's a stick figure, bearing only partial resemblance to the real thing. Here's what Lamentations does for us. God's steadfast love and mercy only begin to take on flesh when we see God as also being the cosmic judge whose anger must burn against our sinful rebellion. It's only when we come to a point when we can just kind of stop in our tracks, cup our hand over our mouth in horror and say, that's what I deserve. That the real weight of the love of God can begin to make sense to us. There's a reason that when Jesus was on the cross, he used words very evocative of lamentations I am forsaken, the land goes dark. His love is only displayed as we start to understand the darkness. So in this journey into the darkness of lamentations, we will actually yield the brightest of light. Our journey in lamentations will give us a full and robust view of God. We need lamentations not simply so that we can see God's anger burn against sin, though that is the motif throughout the whole book, that is the prism through which we're looking. We need lamentations so that we can more fully grasp His steadfast love that we can have a sure and steady hope that's rooted in a whole view of who God actually is. Here's the problem with stick-figure gods. Stick-figure gods or people with stick-figure gods become to borrow a term from C.S. Lewis, men without chests. We're hollow. Ghost towns of ourselves, of the selves we're meant to be. These stick figure gods leave our souls famished. And because our souls are famished, we try and Chalk them full, stuff them full with these little half-thought-through truisms. Platitudes that can't hold up in the day of scrutiny. When it's really tested because your life has become so heavy. They don't hold up. So what we typically do when those half-truths that are trying to feed our famished souls can't hold up, we try and distract ourselves, entertain ourselves, use a substance, whatever it might be, distract ourselves from thinking and wrestling and knowing. You see, stick-figure gods lead to vacuous souls. God inspired a book of laments. God inspires words where His people are crying out to them, in Him in their agony. Speaking honestly with God. Pleading with Him. Wrestling with Him. Crying out to Him. You can't talk that way to a stick figure God. And when you can't talk that way to your God, it leaves your soul famished. And when your soul is famished like that, when you're a man without a chest, then any time some wind comes along, it blows you away like chaff. We need the book of Lamentations. I pray that Lamentations will fill out our view of God. That will help us grasp how serious our sin is. How dangerous and devastating it can be to put ourselves in the path of God's wrath by holding on to our rebellion against Him. But I also pray that it will root us in a God who is, despite all of that, not one who afflicts from His heart. He's a God who can be hoped in. Who can be turned to. Whose steadfast love never, never, never ceases, whose mercies are new every morning. Of course, we see the proof of this when Jesus came and bore the wrath of God on our behalf. But as Lamentations fills out our view of God, our souls will be nourished, making us men and women who can have real relationships, though we're mortals, with a holy God. And who, in turn, can be rooted and strong, ready for whatever comes our way. We need a book like Lamentation. Let's pray. Father, we together ask that your intentions for this series, for this book, would be brought about in our midst by your Spirit. Make us people who really grasp you. Get rid of our stick figure gods that we might see you rightly and fully. Fear you. Know your love with depth. Have a hope that can't be shaken even in the worst of circumstances. Know what to do with our sin. Help us to learn from this time when your anger burns.